uh, how, can, how can Christians possibly believe in a loving God in a world of uh, unmitigated, often uh, unresolved, unprovoked, miserable suffering? And some of us here will have gone through hard times, may even be going through hard times now. And we think, how can they expect me to believe in a God of love? How can they expect me to trust in a Jesus who is, going, who, who is a loving friend to me when such terrible things are happening? Surely the world is meaningless. And of course, the Christian answer to the suffering, the, the simple answer to the problem of suffering, is that man has rebelled against God. Sin is the provo- provokes the suffering or causes the suffering in the world. Not, of course, our individual sin, Anyone who suffers particularly is not suffering because they, get, they are worse sinner than the next person, but we all get caught up in a world that is in rebellion against God. Things are not as God would want them to be. So one answer to the problem of suffering is that human beings have not lived their lives as God would want them to live their lives, and as a result, things are out of kilter and the suffering in the world. But things are worse, the Christian says, in that because... Christians believe not only that there is a God of love, but that there is an enemy, there is a powerful force for evil in the world, Satan the devil, who exploits this weakness in humanity and causes all sorts of trouble. So that's the sort of shorthand to the the Christian answer to the problem of suffering, that, that sin causes suffering, and that sin is exploited by uh, a personal force for evil that the Bible calls Satan. There is an an old story, which you may have heard before, of the three demons who graduated from the uh, equivalent of the Oxford University, University for Demonology, or whatever it was, or wherever demons went to university. And these three young demons had done really well in their exams and just had their viva to go through. And their viva was quite nerve-wracking because it was with Satan himself. And so the first demon goes into Satan, and Satan says, when you get down onto the, onto the planet Earth, what are you going to tell people to stop them believing in Jesus? And the first demon was very pleased with himself. I'm going to tell them that there's no God, that God does not exist. That's what I'm going to say. The method exploited by Mr. Dawkins, for instance, at the moment. Um, sorry, I better not record that. Anyway, there we go. But, uh, uh, but I mean, obviously, that is what many atheists would say. So the demon says, I'm going to tell them that God doesn't exist. Satan's response is absolutely hopeless. He said, absolutely hopeless. The evidence for God is overwhelming. They'll point to design. They'll point to creation. They'll point to beauty. They'll point to love in human relationships. They'll point to all sorts of things which suggest that there is a loving God who has given life and has purpose and, uh, and that there's purpose in history and purpose in the universe. Hopeless, failed, disappointing for the demon. Second demon goes in and says, uh, Satan says, what are you going to tell people to stop them believing in Jesus? And the demon says, I'm going to tell them that Jesus is not the son of God. That he's just an ordinary human being, a great teacher, but that he is not divine at all. And he's very pleasing, so that's a good answer. He thinks, oh, that'll be really convincing. That Satan will think that I'll get a first for that. Satan says, hopeless, absolutely hopeless. What are you going to do when they point to the evidence of the resurrection? What are, they going to, what are you going to do when they point to Jesus and say, look, he walked on the water, he raised the dead, he healed the sick? Uh, what are you going to, how are you going to answer those arguments? And the demon didn't have anything to say. Well, no, I was just going to tell him he's not the son of God. Hopeless, failed. 
third demon comes in. He sees he's seen the other two coming out white in the face and shaking. But he goes in a little bit nervous, and he goes up to Satan and says, what are you going to tell people when you get down to earth to stop people believing in Jesus? And the third demon says, I'm going to tell them, sir, that you don't exist. Brilliant, says Satan. Past, first-class degree for you. Because that, of course, is a great thing. If Satan doesn't exist, we don't really need to bother, do we? We're all going to be okay in the end. Everything will be fine. But if there is a personal force for evil, if, we are, if, if there is somebody trying to capture our souls, then we need to make a very important decision to be on the winning side and not the losing side. Well, I suppose, um, I suppose it was for many years as a teenager, perhaps, or through my childhood and teenage, I kind of thought that a Christian was someone who believed in God, that it was almost kind of uh, enough to believe in God. And I suppose still some you meet people and you say, if you say to them, are you a Christian? They'll say, well, I believe in God. And the striking thing is that the Bible says that even the demons believe in God. Satan believes in God. Nobody, in a sense, believes in God more than Satan. For Satan is the, God is the reason Satan exists to oppose God's purposes in the world. So it's not enough just to believe in God. You're no better than a demon if you just believe in God. Well, there are three ways in which we can look at this issue of whether there's a, a devil, whether there's a personal force for evil in the world. Um, I, I'm not following the notes quite so closely. And I didn't find the notes particularly helpful on this subject, actually, so don't, don't worry if I don't stick absolutely to the, to the notes tonight, uh, um, because I, I, I wanted to say one or two other things that are not there. Some of what I say is in the notes, but not all of it. There's... Um, you can take a, what's called a materialist view of Satan, which is to say that uh, it is absurd to think in terms of a personal devil. Uh, it is, um, science uh, is, um, is unable to produce any evidence for that at all, for the existence of a personal devil. Uh, and indeed, it's um, pejorative of human beings to say that they're essentially evil, that they have this rebellion against God. Is, is not true, that man is essentially good and we will gradually improve society. Things will get better and better and better. Nature and nurture explain everything uh, that there is to be explained. There's no need to go beyond the materialist view of the world. So all this talk of spiritual evil and indeed of spiritual good is unhelpful. That, of course, is what a humanist would say. But that, those people, I would suggest to you, have a real problem explaining where evil comes from. Why are we so bad? Why do we do such terrible things to each other? Why do children get abused? Why do um, horrendous murders occur? Why is there so much savagery in the human breast if we're all getting better and better and better? And we don't. Observe, there is precious little sign, I think, that things are less savage than they used to be. So I think that we have to challenge whether that's an entirely satisfactory answer. The second uh, way in which we can look at this problem is what's called the magic solution. You can see that there is spiritual um, evil, there is a powerful force for evil in the world, and become fascinated by it. It's interesting, apparently, someone was telling me the other day that in France now, 
there were roughly ten times more professional occult practitioners than there are Roman Catholic priests. So approximately ten times more people practicing tarot cards, um, Ouija boards, spiritualists, astrologers, all these kind of things, which are, according to the Bible, tapping into spiritual evil, things behind which is the powerful force of Satan. And these things are holding a kind of magical grip over people's hearts and minds. And it's interesting, I think, that as Christianity is rejected uh, in the West, and people talk about a post-Christian generation, post-Christian era, we're seeing an increasing fascination with this kind of occult activity. Uh, there are, and you'll see in your notes there, there are various Bible references there where the Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament warns Christians to avoid these things, to, to avoid these things, these magical arts, if you like. It's very interesting in the baptism service, when people get baptized, we baptized, do we baptize and confirm? You know, we baptized and confirmed you the other day. One of the things you have to say when you are baptized is you're asked, do you renounce evil? You're asked, if, do you repent of your sins? Do you trust in Christ and do you renounce evil? And renouncing evil is a public statement that you will have nothing more to do with these magic arts that take a great grip on people's lives. And perhaps some of you have been involved in those things at one time or another. People often, when they're desperate, get involved in that kind of thing because they're looking for some kind of magic solution to the suffering in their lives. The Bible warns us that, that Satan is behind these things, not God. So there's a materialist view and a magic view, and then there's the Christian view, and I'm going to major just on that for the last 10 or 15 minutes of this talk to try and make five statements what the Christian believes about evil and the problem of evil, and then very quickly touch on how we can counter it, although I'm going to leave you to think about that particularly in your groups. Christians believe that Satan is real, uh, that, he is, um, that he is an individual, personal force for evil in the world. I don't think Christians find it helpful to think of a figure with a pitchfork and a tail, which is so portrayed in, in so many art, but certainly a personal force. And so as God is to good... Satan is to evil. As God is to good, so Satan is to evil. As God, God is behind everything that is good and beautiful and uh, lasting and permanent in our lives. Satan is behind everything that destroys our lives and minimizes our lives and, and weakens us as human beings, makes us less like God, destroys the image of God which we were created with. God is to good what Satan is to evil. Why do we believe these things? Why do Christians believe that Satan is real? Well, obviously, the people who wrote the Bible, Old and New Testament, all speak of Satan as a fallen angel, as a spiritual being who rebelled against God in the heavenly places. And uh, they often speak pictorially. It's difficult for us to know exactly what is literal and what is pictorial. But they speak of a... Of, of, of a world, of a heavenly world, a spiritual world, where a force opposed to God, an individual opposed to God, stood up against God's authority and rejected God's authority. And we see most graphically, I suppose, that being illustrated right in the first story of the Bible, 
where Adam and Eve are confronted with the possibility of sin and are tempted to sin by this fallen angel, Satan. And, of course, Dante and Milton and various other writers uh, milked that for all that they were worth with the graphic descriptions in their own literature and so on. But the origin of that is, is biblical, from Isaiah 14, from Genesis 1 itself, from Job, the sufferings of Job, where, where he encounters Satan, or, or Satan and, and, and God, so to speak, conspire to or, 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 or converse in order to test Job. But there is a clear understanding that here is a, a personal force opposed, uh, opposed to God. The writers of the New Testament, Jesus himself, uh, are extremely aware of the, of the power and the person of Satan working in their lives. Peter, Jesus' great friend, tells us to stand firm against the wiles of the devil. Uh, that he seeks to destroy us. He's like a, like a prowling lion trying to devour uh, us, trying to destroy us. Um, I remember working with a, uh, a, a, my student worker when I was in Christians in Sport, and she'd been on a gap year just before she started working with us, a graduate gap year, and she'd been camping in um, Botswana. And uh, she was with a group of other students, but she was the only girl in this group, so she had to sleep in a tent on her own. And, uh, and all through the night, uh, the, a lion was roaring just outside her tent. And she hardly slept a, a wink in this camp, obviously. And the boys were fast asleep altogether in their tent. And she was alone in this tent with this roaring lion walking around and around the tent, terrified. And uh, so at breakfast the next morning, she said, did anybody sleep? Well, the boys said they slept fine. Yeah, they were fine. They had three or four of them in the tent. She said, I was terrified all night. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, didn't it keep you awake? And someone said, no, no, we were fine, because we were told that lions only roar after they've eaten. <laughs> but, but she was terrified. And <laughs> uh, but Peter, perhaps he didn't know that, but he says that uh, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking to destroy and devour us. He had a very, a very strong sense of a, of a personal Satan. Christian tradition... Um, I mean, Christian tradition has always maintained this. Of course, we've got into a muddle sometimes about it with things like witch hunting and all that kind of thing that's gone on. People have become obsessed with it. But um, right down through the years, the Christian church has held on to a belief that there is uh, a force, uh, an evil presence in society opposed to... uh, the progress of the gospel, the progress of Christianity. And I would guess that those, who are, those of us who are Christians here this evening would, would all agree probably that you cannot work for long as a Christian before you encounter the devil, before you encounter him attacking you in a number of different ways, uh, influencing your life, trying to set you off course. Um, Christian experience and Christian tradition point towards the existence of somebody opposing the good in us. And of course, you could also argue, I think, that common sense points to the fact that Satan is real. How else do we explain uh, Auschwitz? How else do we explain heroin addiction? How else do we explain satanic rituals that people perform? How, why are people so devilish to each other if there is no devil? It's very difficult for the materialist to explain these things. So the Christian wants to say Satan is real. 
He is real. Secondly, we want to say, the Christian wants to say that Satan has a plan. That he has a plan. A lot of people feel that things that Christians consider to be evil, uh, that Christians are ridiculously uptight about it. You know, Christians get ridiculously uptight about Halloween, for instance. People say, you know, it's harmless fun. You know, surely just let people get it. What's wrong with reading a horoscope? Doesn't do any harm, does just a bit of fun. We don't really mind about that. Surely if, if you've lost someone you love very much and you're not sure what's happened to them, to go to a medium and have a conversation with them, surely this is a, this is a lot of comfort for people. Surely this is, this, is, this is fine. Surely that's fine. I think it was when, when Ronald Reagan was president in the, in the White House, I think that there was a significant amount of consultation with astrologers going on. And, uh, and people didn't seem to think it was particularly odd. I think still you find in the city of London, you'll find a lot of people are making decisions based on the advice of astrologers. What's wrong with that? People say, what's wrong with that? That's not, that's, that's surely can't do much harm. But you see, the plan of Satan, Satan's plan, is to stop people putting their trust in Jesus and so that they put their trust in something else other than Jesus. If what we've been saying in Alpha is true, that the way to be saved, the way to fullness of life, the way to being the person that God wants you to be is to have a trusting relationship with Jesus, then anything other than that is a trick of Satan. And Satan as an, will masquerade, the Bible says, as an angel of light. He'll look as if he's doing good for you. Of course, you know, the horoscope will tell you no. Don't cross the road tomorrow because you might get knocked over by a bus, so don't cross the road tomorrow. But you're putting your, you're putting your life under the control of something other than Jesus. You're not trusting in Jesus, you're trusting in something else. You're trusting in the sales, or the Weezer board, or the guidance from the tarot cards, or whatever it might be. What the medium says. We are, we are exploited by evil as Satan works in our hearts. Because we want to trust something. We want guidance from somewhere. We want help from somewhere. We want healing from somewhere. And we'll go to someone who offers it. But the truth is that the only good source of blessing is the Lord God Almighty, who has made himself known to us in Jesus. So the devil's plan is therefore to destroy our faith in Jesus. Anything that stops us believing in Jesus is a win for Satan. That's his plan. That's his plan. And that will lead to the mass destruction of the human race. God is in the business of the mass salvation of the human race. Satan is in the business of the mass destruction of the human race. Jesus spelt it out very clearly when he talked about himself as the good shepherd. He said, and the good shepherd has come to bring life and life in all its fullness to all mankind. That is what Jesus' plan is, to bring life. He deliberately uses a word, zoe, a life which means full life now and eternal life in the future. But the devil has come to destroy and to take life away, to wreck. That is his plan, and he's very good at it. He's very good at it. And you see it all around you. Open any newspaper, turn on any news bulletin. And you will see that he is powerful. And that is the third statement. Satan is real, Satan has a plan, and Satan is powerful. He does blind us, 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 that he blinds the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light and beauty of the gospel. And I think any of us who have been involved in the whole business of trying to explain Christianity to people have discovered that. That there are moments when people just are blind, they cannot see, they cannot see, and Satan has somehow blinded them. So he blinds us and he sows doubt. We're Christians by faith. The opposite side of the coin to faith is always doubt. We're not, we don't walk by knowledge, we walk by faith. So there's a sense in which doubt is always there in our mind as a Christian. There's a sense in which that's there. Uh, you, you always, you know, we're not, we're not cultists. A cult has no doubt. A cult, if you're a Mooney, or if you're a Jehovah's Witness, perhaps, that's a bit harsh, perhaps on Jehovah's Witness, but certainly if you're a Mooney or a Scientologist, doubt is not permitted. There is no doubt. You just have to accept what the cult says. Christianity opens our minds. We're always questioning. We're always asking questions. We're always trying to journey on. We're always trying to find out more. We're exploring. So there's always an element of doubt. There's always a question in the Christian's mind. That's healthy. That's healthy. That's part of being in the image of God. Satan exploits that doubt. Do you remember how in the, uh, in the Garden of Eden, um, in the story of Adam and Eve, and that, you know, there's only one rule that they've got to keep, for goodness sake. I mean, it's pretty good, really. <laughs> you know, it's not like, uh, it's not like, you know, my wife trying to run a school down the road here. There are, when she started, she reckoned there were about 16 things that she had to do for an inspection. Now there are 500 things, 500 boxes she has to tick when the school inspectors come round. That's 15 years later. She's ruled by rules. God laid down one rule in the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve. You shall not eat of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or you'll die. That's what God said. Or you'll die. And what does Satan say? Did God say? Did God really say that you would die? Adam, Eve, did he really say that? Did he say that? Or did you imagine that he said that? Did you just think it up? Did that, was that just something that came into your minds? Was that your guilt? Was that your fear? He sowed doubt in their mind. Did God really say? And they gave in to the temptation. And in the picture, sin comes into the world. God sows doubt. He exploits doubt in our, in our lives. And it's a cunning plan that he uses. So he, his, uh, he is powerful in blinding us and in tempting us and in sowing doubt in our minds. And who here... Um, could not say, um, who here would not say how powerful the temptation to do wrong things is in our lives? Who is, who, which of us could possibly deny that that isn't part of our human existence? We know there are some things that are destructive to us, and yet we're tempted to do them. I mean, at a most banal level, I'm still irritated when I go to a college, you know, into one of our university colleges, and it says, keep off the grass. Every time I'm tempted to walk on the grass, aren't you? By almost as soon as you see the sign, you want to walk on the grass. It's a trivial example. But we are tempted all the time to do things that we know are wrong. I think it's part of our human existence. The Bible tells us that behind that temptation is the evil one who's seeking to throw us off course to keep us outside of God's will. So he is powerful. But, fourthly, 
And I'm going to just do these quickly. Fourthly, sin, Satan is defeated. Satan is a defeated enemy. There's, um, uh, there's a lovely picture in the Bible where Jesus has his disciples around him and he sends them out two by two in a sort of practice, to practice their mission. He says, go out and uh, preach the gospel, tell them that the Messiah has come, uh, pray for people in my name and, and heal the sick, um, do good to the poor, go out and put your lives on the line, if you like, and see what happens. And they went out and they did this, and they come back and they report to him and say, you know, the devil, people were, the devil was exorcised for people, people were healed, people became believers. It's really exciting. And I can assure you, if you're not a Christian, one of the most exciting things you can do if you do become a Christian is to go out and do this sort of thing and see other people become Christians. It is simply wonderful to do. It is one of the most rewarding things any human being can do. But anyway, when they come back and tell Jesus, Jesus is thrilled that they've done well, thrilled that they are excited about following him. And he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. As the gospel is preached, as men and women turn from trusting in themselves or in trusting in something different to Jesus, like another religion or a satanic activity, spiritual activity, as they turn to trust in Jesus, it is like Satan falling like lightning from heaven. The victory of Jesus is proclaimed in the world. And the victory of Jesus is is known to us because the Satan's greatest, greatest um, power, his greatest weapon, is the weapon of death. When Adam and Eve sinned, death came into the world. Because of sin, there is death. The wages of sin are death. The, the, the most terrible thing that can happen, and it's a 100% statistic, is that we die. We die. And the terrible, terrible thing to die without God and Satan's greatest thing is to, is to kill people before they come to know God and for people to die without God. And if you, in, in my business, if you're a clergyman, if you're a clergyman like my, my, I am, two things struck me as more than anything else, I think, when I first became a clergyman. The first is that you get ushered in to the terrible suffering in people's lives because you're a clergyman. When someone dies or when they're ill, Often that's when the clergyman goes into their lives. So you see, you confront suffering in a way that I'd never, suffer, never confronted it before. I confronted darkness in a way that I'd never been confronted by darkness before once I went into full-time ministry. And then you are with people when they die. They, people sometimes say that a clergyman's job is preparing people to die. That's what we do. We prepare people to die. Because when you die, you go to heaven or you don't, one way or the other. So we're preparing people for death. And to be with people who are dying who have no trust in Jesus, who are facing death still without the knowledge of the victory of Jesus, is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place, as Pete explained on that talk uh, on the cross, why Jesus died. He, he, took, he, he is the victor because Satan has thrown everything at him. The Son of God, it's the biggest obstacle to Jews becoming Christians because God can't die. But God did die. He took the death we deserve 
and rose again victorious to prove that Satan's power was useless against him. He could not keep Jesus dead. Satan's power was drawn by the cross of Christ. So Satan is defeated. Satan is defeated. And the Bible is full of pictures of that, full of, of, of glorious statements and pictures about Jesus being victorious over the power of evil on the cross and in his resurrection. Sin is defeated. So last of my five points. Satan is real. Satan has a plan. Satan is powerful. Satan is defeated. And Satan has no power over the spirit-filled Christian. You had your Holy Spirit day on Saturday. You learned about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God coming to live in our hearts, giving us a taste of heaven. We can be filled with him, experiencing Christ-likeness and new spiritual gifts. Uh, we can know God personally. We have stepped into life as Christians. We have stepped out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Jesus. We are therefore protected by his blood. And Christians will sometimes say that, that we, we are protected by the blood of Christ. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he drew the sting, like drawing the sting out of a wasp. He drew the sting of death from Satan. And the spirit-filled Christian cannot be touched by Satan's power. Even if you die, even if you die in a road accident on your way home tonight, pray God you don't. But even if you do, Satan doesn't win because you get straight to heaven. Joanna Braithwaite, who was the PA to Charlie Cleverly, the rector of St. Aldates, was killed on the Woodstock Road two or three weeks ago. Wonderful Christian girl. Tragic, terrible, terrible suffering for her family, for the church at St. Aldates. Wonderful girl, dear friend to many of us. Wiped out. Not a victory for Satan. Straight into heaven. Straight into heaven. Her parents got up at the memorial service and said, we miss her so much, but we know she's in heaven because Jesus has won. Satan has no power over Joanna. No power at all. Her job was done here, they said. And it was a great job. We miss her with all our hearts. They were weeping. We were all weeping. But they proclaimed the victory of Jesus. You can't lose because you go straight to heaven on the basis of Jesus' death. Satan cannot have any power over the spirit-filled Christian. Paul wrote in Romans 8, at the climax of his defense of the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the person who becomes a follower of Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation, no fear of hell, no fear of death, no fear of Satan's power in your life. Because Jesus has the victory. There is no condemnation. We will skirmish with him. They often use the illustration uh, in uh, sermons and in talks of, of the Second World War, that after the D-Day landings, the Second World War was effectively uh, uh, won. There was really no way in which uh, uh, Germany would ever be able to, um, to, to reassert themselves. They were reeling from the bombing, and a foothold was established in Europe again, and the Americans were in the war. The overwhelming power of the Allies was going to, to push the Germans back. And, of course, uh, the Eastern Front was collapsing as well. So the Germans were finished. The victory really was won once, D -Day, once that bridgehead was secured. My father was there, and as perhaps many of your relatives were there too. 
and he would sometimes talk about this. But there were still months and months of fighting, and there were still many battles to be won before they got to Berlin and before VE Day was announced. But victory had effectively been secured. We are now, in this brief moment of time in which we live, involved in a skirmish with the devil. And he will tempt us, and he will try to sow doubt in our minds, and he will do, try and throw us off course. But we have the victory in Jesus, we can win, we can go forward, and we can step from this world into heaven. I had a very godly, very, very godly grandmother who prayed for me and um, used to come and see me when I was uh, before I was 13, sort of between 8 and 13. Every evening she'd come and we'd have half an hour together. Sometimes we'd play cards together and sometimes we'd just talk together or she'd help me with my homework, whatever it might be. Very, very godly woman. She had a big impact on my life. Extremely, she was very sensible, full of common sense, but very saintly. She died aged about 86. And she'd been in a coma for a while before she died. She was in a hospital down in Devon. And my aunt, her daughter, uh, was the one living nearest to her. And just before she died, a few days before she, or the day, I think, before she died, she went to see her. She hadn't said anything for three or four days. She'd been unconscious. They knew she was dying. A very godly woman. As my aunt sat beside the bed, granny, eyes open, she woke up. And she said, Lydia, Lydia was my aunt's name. She said, can you see them? Can you see them? And Lydia said, what are you talking about? What can you see? Can't you see? She said, look at the, all the angels around my bed. Can't you see? They've come for me. They've come for me. And then she died. To die with Jesus is victory. To die without him is a terrible thing. Satan is a defeated enemy by the blood of Jesus. And I commend his victory to you this evening.